Okay, we are in 1 Samuel chapter 2. 1 Samuel chapter 2, reading from verse 1. Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth speaks boldly against my enemies. Because I rejoice in your salvation. There is no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one beside you. Nor is there any rock like our God. Boast no more so very proudly. Do not let arrogance come out of your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge and with Him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are shattered, but the feeble gird on strength. Those who were full hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry ceased to hunger. Even the barren gives birth to seven, but she who has many children languishes. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down a shield and he raises up. The Lord makes poor and rich. He brings low. He also exalts. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with nobles and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he sets the world on them. He keeps the feet of his godly ones, but the wicked ones are silenced in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. Those who contend with the Lord will be shattered. Against them he will thunder in the heavens. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and will exalt the horn of his anointed. Then Elkanah went to his home at Ramah, but the boy ministered to the Lord before Eli. Okay, so you see this this prayer that was offered. There's this prayer that was offered by Hannah, and it came in the form of a song. And she wrote this song. And it's interesting that this song is, is very much like a song that Mary had sung when she was given a promise from the Lord. Uh, she sang the song, and you can see that Mary's song in Luke 1.46 was very much like this song. Mary, in fact, obviously based her song of joy upon this song that Hannah had written. So you see that Mary must have been very familiar with the Scriptures. Must have been very familiar. This is the, the Virgin Mary. She must have been very familiar with it because her song is very much like this song. But this song is tremendous because what it does is it gives us a picture of the way God views us, the way God views the underdog, the way God views what He's going to do in and through those who will have faith in Him. You know, there's a verse, just keep your finger here, we're going to come back, but there's a verse in Psalm 16 that I've taken hold of for my life. And it would do you well to take hold of it as well. It says in, in Psalm 16, verse 5, The Lord is the portion of my inheritance in my cup. You support my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. So look at what the psalmist writes. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance in my cup. What do I have? I have the Lord. 
You know, it's not that, oh, my inheritance is great lands and great farms and great kingdoms. My inheritance is the Lord. He's the portion of my inheritance and my cup, that which sustains me. You support my lot. God supports this psalmist's lot. This is what David is saying. So remember that they would cast lots to see who was to get what, who was to do what. David says, the Lord supports my lot. Did you know, did you know that the Lord can support your lot? If we will have faith, the Lord can support our lot. Now let's look back at the, this song of Hannah. And this is a song where you just see that, that God lifts up the underdog. God is again and again for the underdog. So he says, so she, she says uh, uh, in verse 4, The bows of the mighty are shattered, but the feeble gird on strength. So you see this picture of these mighty warriors, that their bows of the mighty are just shattered, but the feeble are gathering strength. Who will gather strength? It is the feeble. God again and again supports the underdog. You know what? This gives me hope. Because God supports me. It says in verse 5, Those who are full hire themselves out for bread, but those who are hungry cease to hunger. God again takes care of the lowly. Even the barren gives birth to seven. He who has many children languishes. Remember her rival had many children. But compared to her rival, you never hear much about Panina and her children. But here you hear about Hannah. And she had many children after this. She had six children in total. Verse 6, um, The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down a shield and He raises up. The Lord makes poor and rich. He brings low. He also exalts. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with nobles and inherit the seat of honor. Again and again in my life, I've come back to this song and remembered this verse. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap. Some, some translations call it a dung heap. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with nobles. He raises them up. He raises them up. God does this. I remember, you know, people will look at me and they'll say, oh, well, you know, you were always really smart. You always had this. You always had that. All I know is that there's no way I should have been here. My sister used to get, my sister was one of these, these unusual people that would always get a perfect score on the SATs. And this was back in the old days where the SAT grades would normally, uh, it was like about 100 points lower on average than they are today. It was a different sort of ranking. But she'd always get perfect scores. She was so so intelligent. And, you know, to this day, you know, she's a mathematical physicist. And, and uh, my brother was one of these guys that could always do well in school without having to work very hard. And then there was me. And I always struggled through school. School was so hard for me. And I remember going to, to college and, and I got dropped into this, this honors chemistry program and I shouldn't have been in it. 
And it, they said, well, you know, you're a chemistry major, why don't you go into this? And these kids, it seemed like they, they ate, drank, and sleep chemis- slept chemistry. I don't know how they knew so much. You know, this was freshman chemistry, you know, it was beginning chemistry. You were supposed to be beginning, but they knew everything. Everything that, you know, the professor would talk about, they already knew. And it was clear that their high school teachers had worked far too hard <laughs> and had taught them far too much. And I remember struggling that freshman year, that first semester freshman, as many freshmen struggle. And I, would, I got saved November 7th of my freshman year. And I used to pray, God help me, God help me. And I ended up getting a B plus at the end of that first semester. And I was so delighted at that grade. And then after that, every chemistry course I got an A. And God seemed to just take me and lift me up. And then when I was doing a postdoc, you know, we were, we were um, several of us in the lab were applying for jobs at the same time as a postdoc at Stanford. And there were several people in the lab amongst us that were applying for the same lot of jobs that were out there. And I remember one guy commenting. He said, Jim is never going to get a job with guys like Sudhakar looking for a job. Now, Sudhakar was this guy from India who was also looking for an academic position. And this guy, Sudhakar, knew everything. We would have these group problem set sessions. And the guy was so good. I, I was wondering, how could a guy 26, 27 years old know so much chemistry like this guy? And when the guy said that, you know, Jim's never going to get a job, it wasn't like I was angry. It wasn't like I felt defensive. I agreed. I agreed. I wondered, how am I ever going to get an offer when all these guys who know so much and I'm competing with them for the same group of jobs? And I remember going out to pray every day around noontime and I would just pray, God, would you open the door for me? Open the door for an academic position. And we would interview at the same places because, you know, they they bring you in the night before your interview. And that was the last night of the previous person's interview. So we'd always overlap in the same hotel. And, and uh, so we were always interviewing at the same places. Well, it was interesting what God did. Even these, though these guys knew so much, I got the offers every time before they did. And I know that because I would get a call, I would get an offer. And, you know, some offers I would turn down right away because I knew I had an offer from another school that I would rather take. And so as soon as I would turn them down, I'd hang up the phone and ring again. And they'd pick it up and they'd be calling for Sudaka or for someone else in the lab. So we, we even knew the pecking order of how things were going. God opens the door. God supports our lot. All of these promises, you look at these promises, you see, this isn't for me. Hannah's praying this about someone else. Look over in... in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. There is a promise here that we need to take hold of. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And it says in verse 20. 2 Corinthians 1.20 For as many as are the promises of God, in Him they are yes. Therefore also through Him is our Amen to the glory of God through us. For as many as are the promises in God in Him, meaning in Jesus, they are yes. The, the King James says that, that, that 
All the promises of God are yea and amen for those who are in Christ Jesus. All the promises of God. You say, well, I don't believe that. Well, fine, you won't get it then. May God take that which you could have had, but decided not to have because of a lack of faith, and give it to me. I will take it. I will take those promises for myself. The Bible says, for as many as are the promises of God, in Him they are yes. In Jesus Christ they are yes. We can take hold of this promise that Hannah gives. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap. You know, young people talk to me about their careers, how they're going to do this, how they're going to do that, and I try to tell them. And sometimes I want to shake them because I want this to get through to them. If you devote yourself to following God, to honoring Him, He will raise you up. He will do a great thing through you. He will raise you up. He will raise you up. It says, He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap. Were you not the best in your program? That's fine. God can raise you up. God can make you more successful than all the others. He says He raises them up, not just to succeed, but to make them sit with nobles and inherit a seat of honor. That's what she says. God picks up from the ash heap, the lowest, and He raises them up to make them sit with nobles and inherit a seat of honor. This is what God can do. God can do that. God can raise you up. All of these promises are yes and amen. Turn to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians this time, chapter 1, and you see a similar thought here as Paul is speaking. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. For consider your calling, brethren, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the things that are strong, the weak things of the world to shame the things, the weak things of the world to shame the things that are strong, and the base things of the world and the despised. God has chosen the things that are not so that he might nullify the things of, that are so that no man may boast before God, but by his doing you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So, just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let me reread verse 27, because I, I got mixed up on that. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things that are strong. So, in verse 26... It says, God has specifically called those who were not wise according to the flesh, were not mighty, and were not noble. Now, it's not that He doesn't sometimes call, call the wise, the mighty, and the noble. But He says that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. For consider your calling, that not many, so in other words, the vast majority of us, were called specifically because we were not mighty, because we were not noble, because we were not wise. God chose us because of that. 
he delights in taking the weak things of the world and making them strong. So if you say, well, why did God choose me? I mean, there's nothing in me. That's exactly right. That's why he chose you. Because you're the weak of the world. That's precisely why he chose you. And if you feel, well, God chose me, you know, because I'm pretty strong, you may want to question whether you've really been chosen. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the things that are strong. He says, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He said, you know, my mind is not as good as these other people. That's exactly why he chose you. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. In your weakness, he is going to shame the strong through your weakness. The base things of the world and the despised God has chosen. The base things of the world, the things in the basement. And the despised God has chosen. I remember this look that I would get sometimes. The painful, painful looks, you know, where you're talking to a person and they just turn away in disgust, like, oh. And the pain you feel. You know, here you are, a young person trying to relate to people and, you know, someone you admire just kind of turns away in disgust. You're like, what do you say is so irrelevant. And the pain you feel. God says, He's chosen the despised. The things that are not, that He might nullify the things that are. Have you ever been despised by others? God has chosen you. So they might nullify the things that are. And he's done this so that no man would boast before God. Because by his doing, we are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that, just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is exactly what Hannah is doing. She is boasting in God and she is writing prophetically and says, God can take you from the ash heap and make you sit in the seat of nobles. Take hold of this promise, brethren. Take hold of this promise. Thou dost support my lot. You support my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. God has good for us. You know, I'm, I'm reading this, this little uh, daily scripture that, that's put out by, by Charles Spurgeon, who wrote this in the 1800s. Just a wonderful writer, but just to see the depth of his faith in the promises of God. The depth of his faith in the promises of God. You show me a man, you show me a woman that believes God's promises and takes them for themselves. And I will show you someone who will go on and do great exploit in the Lord. To be able to take these promises and apply them to ourselves will cause us to do great exploit. To be able to read these promises and divorce them from ourselves and to say they have no effect on me, you will not see great exploit in your life. These promises are for the believer. The believer will not go far without these promises because God has specifically chosen us, the weak ones of the world, the despised, 
the unwise, that we might shame those who are strong, those who are wise. God has chosen us specifically. So for us who have been chosen, it is imperative that we take this word and we believe it and we walk in it. This is what that woman was saying. Here, she had just taken her son, who was probably three years old, four years old, and offered him up to Eli and said, He is at your service. I will only see my son now once a year. He's at your service. And here she is rejoicing because she believes God's word for what's to come. To be able to take something that we have total control over and to release it to God and to say, God, take and use this. And then to believe that God will do this is a wonderful, wonderful thing. I want you to take hold of this scripture and learn to walk in the truth of this word. If you will take this book and read it and say, God, speak to me through this portion. Lord, speak to me. It is great to learn the context of things and what was God saying to the community, what was happening at that time period in history. This is all good. But if all you do in reading the Bible is get that, then your relationship is purely academic because you can do the same thing without the Holy Spirit. You can do the same thing in any classroom. You can take this book, read it, read some commentaries about the background, what was going on, and understand the Greek and the Hebrew and the Aramaic and understand the nuances of the words. That you can do without the Holy Spirit. But with the Holy Spirit, you can take this word and as you read it, say, Lord, speak it to my heart and make it real in my life. And that's where you see the difference in people. That's where all of a sudden you see the shining. Shereen and I were at the, the home of this wonderful Christian man and his, his wife and family last night. And just to hear him speak, I would just look at him and say, Lord, this is so delightful to see this man speak about the glories of God. You could see a depth of relationship in he and his wife. And as we're talking, he says, oh, you know, I, I, because actually what had happened when we were driving to his house, I wrote the number down a little bit wrong, so I was on the wrong block. So we knocked on the wrong door when we went, and, and I said, oh, we're looking for Dr. J. You know, and uh, um, she immediately knew. Here's a guy who lived on the next block. She says, oh, he lives on the next block. You got the number, one number wrong. And I'm thinking, how does someone on the next block know? Turns out he goes up and down that road with his wife praying for all the neighbors. So he knows them. And you could see this in his life. Just the love and the devotion and and how excited he is about the Lord. He takes this book and he believes it. Go figure. God does something when you believe the book. You take this book and you make it your meditation. You take this book and you make it your promises. And he will lift the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with nobles. He will do this. He will do this again and again. And you will look back on your life and you say, I don't believe all that's happening. I don't deserve this. I'm not good enough for this. And all of that is true. And there will be all of these things happening. You say, Lord, you're so good to me. Why are you so good to me? That's what you will get in life. That's what will happen if you take this book and believe it. This is why Hannah could say this. 
You take this book and believe it. And then in your life, he, will, he raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with nobles and inherit a seat of honor. Well, how can God do that? Well, the next line tells us, For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and He sets the world on them. Because the one who will be vying for you is the one who established the earth. And He can do whatever He wants. Take this book, read it, and believe it. And appropriate it for yourself. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the truth of your word. It is so good. Father, I pray for these young people that they would love your word and believe it. For all these promises are yea and amen for those who are in Christ Jesus. Father, I pray they would take hold of this verse, of this truth, and see that you are the one who has chosen them because they are not wise, are not mighty, and are not noble. But you have great things for them. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you support our lot. Please, Lord, let the truth of your word take up residence in their hearts to give them life. And I thank you, my Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen.